This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. We're going to be reading the entire first chapter of Samuel. So turn in your Bibles, please. There was a certain man of Raphazirim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Joram, the son of Eliahu, the son of Tahu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite who had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the other was Pinnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year to the city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. There, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, who were priests of the Lord, on the day that when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously and irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting at the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and forget and not forget your servant, I will give your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put, a, put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of the great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you've made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their house in Ra. And Elkan knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Then the man, Elkanah, and his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. 
Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli and said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was sitting in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I have prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Thank you, Jay. So the other day, Courtney and I were cleaning the kitchen. Now, I'm not talking about the regular normal cleaning, you know, like you do three or four times a day, can I get a witness, washing the dishes, wiping down the counters. I'm talking about like, you know, that special spring clean kind of clean where you empty out every cupboard, empty out every drawer, all the pantry shelves, everything gets emptied. The stuff that you don't need anymore gets thrown away and you reorganize stuff. Um, yeah, it was fun, tons of fun. And uh, what happens when you do that exercise is you end up finding stuff you never knew you had. And then you gotta find a place for it again. And some of that stuff is just hard to know exactly where to put it and what to do with it. For example, where do you keep fly swatters? You know what I'm saying? So you don't wanna just like leave them on the counter because they're full of fly guts. But they need to be accessible in case a fly wanders into the kitchen. And so what do you do with it? You don't wanna hang it on some special hanger display for, you know, fly swatters. So, Probably, like you, we just stuck it in the miscellaneous drawer. Don't look at me with judgment. I know you have a miscellaneous drawer. We all have a miscellaneous drawer. You know, that's where the packing tape goes and the matches and that gooey stuff you use to stick stuff on a wall, you know what I mean? And about 35,000 Bic pens are all in that, that miscellaneous drawer. And I guess that's where we can. Sometimes stuff in your life, it's hard to know what to do with it. And now we begin talking about the issues of the heart. And some of you have things that have happened to you and events and things that are difficult and confusing and what do you do with the heart stuff? What do you do with things? Our temptation is to kind of put them away, to not think about them, to stick them in a drawer someplace. But from time to time, they'll come up again and cause heartache and frustration. What do you do with the pain in your life? Today, I wanna to help answer that by looking at the story of, of Hannah. Now, you probably noticed that um, Jay did not read from Genesis this morning. We've been in the book of Genesis. Well, it dawned on us last week that we kind of dialed up the wrath of God for Mother's Day. And we thought, probably not a great decision. <laughs> Why don't we switch gears a little bit? And so I got to thinking, okay, what, what, what do you preach on for Mother's Day kind of at the last minute? And I thought, oh yeah, the story of Hannah. Uh, it's kind of cliche, you know, Hannah on Mother's Day. But then again, because of that, I've never actually preached on Hannah on Mother's Day. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull up the story of Hannah and I'm gonna read through it and I'm gonna see what's there. And uh, man, I was honestly just blown away by this text. I was blown away by the story. I was blown away by the beauty and uh, surprised, honestly, by the help that's here. Um, I was surprised about the fact that this passage is really a passage about worship. It's a passage about pain 
and disappointment and hurt. And then a beautiful example of what you do with that pain, disappointment, and hurt. And it's a, a story that ultimately makes God's love and his goodness shine. And so thinking about Mother's Day and, and thinking about some of you who've come in here this morning and there's just events and relationships and difficulties that have happened that you've never really ever unpacked and don't really wanna unpack. And what you kind of do, you don't really know what to do with it. And uh, I can't think of a better gift, a better way to walk through today than to say, let me as your pastor come alongside you. Let's walk through a text together and let's take our heartache and pain where we need to. Let's take it to Jesus. So here's my big idea of the day. The answer to my pain is worship. The answer to my pain is worship. I've been praying a lot about this message this week as I've just really enjoyed how the Lord's worked on it in my own heart, but really praying that he's gonna help you and some of the pain that you've experienced, because I know, listen to me now, I know some of you have pain that runs very, very deep. And I wanna help you take that where it needs to go. So here's uh, truth number one, three truths that are gonna help us. Truth number one, uh, and this is true, uh, life is filled with pain. Life is filled with pain. You see it right away in the text. So after the introduction of all the names in uh, verse number one, we get to verse number two, and we see this. And he, Elkanah, had two wives, and the name of the uh, one was Hannah, and the name of the other one was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, for us today, that might not be a big deal. In fact, there are women today who make that decision not to have kids. And that's a legitimate decision in the eyes of many people. And so if you saw a woman today with no kids, not a big deal. But in this day and age, it was a massive deal that Hannah had no kids. This was how the lineage of men was brought forward was with the blessing of children. I did this when I said blessing of children. I, kids, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, to do that. Um, but uh, the blessing of children was how the, the lineage was brought forward. And so a wife who couldn't produce kids, I mean, they looked down on that and often ridiculed that and had all kinds of questions. And they saw it oftentimes as a curse of God. God must not love you. God must not think well of you because he wouldn't bless you with kids. And so here's Hannah and she can't have those children. And chances are that's why Elkanah had to marry another woman to produce that heir, to produce those children. And it was huge, and it was painful. And so right away, you see painful just due to natural circumstances. But that wasn't enough. Enter in the second wife. The Bible calls her the rival. It's the only time it's used, verse number six. And her rival used to provoke her. Now, that was a common Hebrew word for that second wife. So chances are this is just that. But she really is a rival in a lot of ways because she's coming along and she's mocking. Take a look at this. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she would go up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Painful. And hopefully, as you read that this morning, your heart is stirred by the pain that Hannah's experiencing. 
Hopefully you see this and you feel that pain and you feel that concern with her. It's not easy to see someone else hurt. But on the other hand, all of us have experienced pain. All of us have been through hurts. And perhaps for many of us, it's just you know, natural circumstances, nothing you didn't really plan on. There's no one to blame here in this story. It wasn't Elkanah's fault. It wasn't even Hannah's fault, though people would accuse her probably of that. She probably blamed herself. It wasn't her fault. Maybe you have things in your life that aren't necessarily someone's fault, but yet it hurts. Or maybe it is someone's fault. And the cruelty of others has caused pain in your life. What is so awesome about the Bible is that the world we see in the Bible is the world we see around us today. I'll say it again. The world we see in the Bible is the world we see around us every day. It's not foreign to us to experience a woman feeling pain. And you know that because you have pain. I, I just need to say this because it's right in the text. There is something that I know that uh, you know, the pain knows no gender, uh, but there are some pains that are unique to women and that maybe a lot of you mothers are facing today. And one of those pains is just sometimes how cruel women can be to women. We see it right in the text. And uh, uh, there's a whole study out right now called Female Rivalry in the Workplace. And the idea is if uh, you enter a job as a woman and there's another woman there, sometimes she'll just treat you cruelly just because you're another woman. And many of you experience the judgment of other moms. There's a part of me that believes that so many moms are organic because that's what so many moms do. And they judge each other if they're not. Just a little theory. But there's certainly a thing called mom guilt. You see it all the time. I see women explaining their choices and all this on social media and walking around that because they feel the disdain of other women. Point being, though, pain really does run deep. And it's very common. Many of you are experiencing that. So if I can now, I want to do this. I want to help and um, it's hard because oftentimes to heal a wound, you gotta dig into that wound a little bit. So I wanna talk a little bit about the root of pain, the root of pain. So the reality of pain, we all experience it. I wanna dive further into the root of pain, but here is where I need to be very, very careful to say a few things. Uh, I am talking about the root of pain, and we're going to talk about how a lot of the root of pain comes from our own heart, but I do need to say before I do that, that many of you have experienced tremendous pain that is not your fault. Can I say that again? Many of you have experienced tremendous pain, and I'm not saying today that pain is your fault. I read a statistic this week that said one out of every four women have been the victims of violent abuse by their significant other. One out of every four, that's 25%. That means in a church our size, combining the two services that are kind of normal attendance, between 75 and 100 women have experienced that kind of pain. 
And I'm not talking about that pain. I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that that pain is on you. And when we talk about pain, it's very complex. And you might just need to hear this morning that we're sorry that you're hurting. And maybe you need to hear this morning, this is a place where you're going to be loved. And if we can come alongside you and say, God loves you and he cares for you and he wants to bring healing to you, please hear those words from my mouth this morning. And let me admit, the church has done historically a very, very bad job in handling abuse. Are we clear on that? So that's important to note. But I also think it's important to, 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 to other pains in our lives that we experience very deeply. Sometimes we gotta dig down into them. Even when it's tender and hurting, we gotta dig down deep to get to the source to find healing. And very often, the source of our pain is really deep heart desires that have been unmet. Now think for a minute about this story here in, in Hannah. What exactly is causing Hannah pain? It's not physical. Not having a child isn't a physical pain. No, it's deeper than that. It is a heart pain, emotional pain. And when you talk about the heart, man, the heart is complex, right? What does the Bible say about the heart? The, heart, the Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked, it's sick, it's deceitful. And so as you kind of try to figure out why am I hurting, why am I experiencing pain, I wanna just share with you this morning, very often pain and heart desire go hand in hand. Our pain and our heart desire go hand in hand. I think the best way to illustrate that is to share a personal story to help you understand kind of what I'm talking about, the complexity of pain, but to help you understand this, let me just kind of tell you something from my own life. So one of the um, um, hardest things that I've had to walk through to you might seem like a very silly thing, but to me, it brought about deep heart pain. Uh, so before I planted this church here in Fort Wayne, I um, uh, had the opportunity, I was a senior pastor of a church in Elkhart. I, um, you know, we had just walked through a very difficult transition time. And uh, so we'd just kind of been through a very, very fierce battle. We're on the other side of it, but both Courtney and I were feeling a little battle-worn. And uh, there was an offer for me to step into a large church as a associate pastor. And I would just be doing, you know, like counseling and discipleship. And it was kind of in the next town over. So I didn't even have to sell my house. And they were gonna give me a really nice salary and then I wouldn't be the senior pastor anymore. Some other fool would have that job. And uh, then I'd be able to kind of like, oh, and it just seemed like, oh, this is it. And so I was just convinced. You can ask Courtney. I was convinced. God was gonna give it to us. I prayed with faith. God was gonna give it to us. It was gonna happen. And man, I was kicking back. I was dreaming the dream. I was like, this is gonna be it. Until at the end of it all, he chose someone else instead of me. And it tore me up. I mean, it hit me harder than I even expected it to. And there was a time when I just had to go out in my backyard and we had a lot of trees in our backyard then. I kind of hid behind a tree so no one could see me and I just sat there and I wept. It was painful. 
But why was it painful? I'm going to be honest and really investigate and dig down into my heart a little bit. It was painful because I felt rejected. It was painful because I was really looking forward to the ease of that new position and shedding the responsibility of all the stuff I just had to walk through. Comfort, ease, significance were really at the root of that pain. And that's true of a lot of our pain. Maybe as you stop for a minute and you think about some of the pain that you've had to experience in life, again, this is so complex, right? Because some of these things are just natural causes. Some of these things are are other people to us. But if we're gonna be honest about dealing with it, we gotta admit at some level, there is some hard issues at the root of all of that, some heart issues that are deep at the root of all of that. And we gotta be very careful to be honest with God about that. So uh, let's then do this. I want us to do what Hannah does. So what do you do with the pain? And what is absolutely commendable and amazing and beautiful about Hannah is she takes her pain exactly where she needs to. So let's write this down. Life is filled with pain. Can I get a witness? Point number two, our pain belongs on an altar. Our pain belongs on the altar. Look at it in the text. Uh, verse number eight, if you would, please. So we see her depression coming along, so depressed. She wouldn't sleep. Uh, sorry, she, w- she wasn't eating. She was weeping. All of that's there. Her husband, Elkanah, tries to come and give her some comfort. Look what he says. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? And I know some people have come alongside and said, well, that was pretty arrogant of the guy. You know, hey, aren't I better than 10 sons? And I can see where you would say that. But I really believe his heart is to try to relieve some of her pain. It's okay, it's okay. Trust me, I love you still, even though. And he gave her a double portion. The text says, because the the Lord had closed her womb, he gave her a double portion. She's trying to come along, he's trying to help. But the reality is, she didn't need to take her pain to her husband. She needed to take her pain to the Lord. Verse number nine, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She took her pain to the feet of God and poured out her heart before God. And we see it again in verse number 16 where she says, do not regard your servant a worthless woman for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. I love how it pictures this. It wasn't that. She was, okay, dear Lord, it's okay, whatever. I mean, she was like bearing her heart. God, I'm hurting here. God, why don't you see me? Why don't you hear me? I'm crying out. Why don't you do something about it? Honest, real, deep pain laid out before her God. And when I studied this text, one thing that just really jumped out to me is that this whole story is really a story centered on worship. 
um, really, if it was a play or a movie, there'd really only be one key set. And that set would be the tabernacle at Shiloh. Did you notice as, as Jay read the story that it's year after year after year. So one year they come, they worship, she can't have kids. She, she's sad about that. The next year they come and she still doesn't have kids. In fact, uh, take a look at verse number seven. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord. So this is going on and on and on and on. And every single year, here's Penina coming in to what? To, to hinder Hannah's worship. Therefore, uh, so this is again verse number seven. So it went on year by year. As often as she would go up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Isn't that interesting? It's like she didn't do it all the time, but she did it this time. Oh, you're going to worship God, are you, Hannah? Well, go ahead. Obviously, God loves me more. Obviously, God's mad at you. You're not doing something right. Obviously, God is, is blessing me. Look at all the children I have and not blessing you. Time and time again, year after year, provoking her. But what's awesome about Hannah? None of that stops her. And she goes before the Lord and she cries out. Verse number 10 again. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Philippians, so this is the supplication that we're talking about here, the supplication that we're seeing her make before the Lord. And Philippians 4, 6 says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I love this. Because this is something I, get, I gotta balance out here, okay? So if I can, just let me balance something a little bit because I talk frequently about our heart desires. And I say frequently that a lot of our sin ties back to key heart desires. Even identifying them, I believe that's seen in the counseling room and throughout God's word. And, you know, this is a pleasure and significance and security and comfort or typical heart desires. And as often as I preach against them, you might get the feeling like it's wrong for me to have those heart desires. And I wanna say to you, no, it's not wrong to have those heart desires. It's very natural to have those heart desires. You should want security. You should want love and approval. You should want comfort. You should want pleasure. God has built those things within you. It's not wrong to want those things. The question is, where are you anticipating those things being met for you? Where are you taking those heart desires? See, we're wrong when we take the desire of security and we ask something else besides God to be that security for us. And why do we do that? Because honestly, at the end of the day, we doubt God is really gonna take care of us. Maybe I want comfort and you can find comfort in God. God's word calls him the God of, do you know what? All comfort. Say it with me. The God of all comfort. You can find comfort in your God, but we don't go there because we doubt that he really will bring that. The God of all pleasure, the God of approval and love and significance and we want these things, and it's not wrong to want them. But are you willing to take them to God? I love that Hannah wanted a son. 
But what she did is she took that desire to the Lord. James 4 says this, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. I'm gonna say that again. You do not have because, church, read it with me, you do not ask. Now, you ask and don't receive because you ask it wrongly to spend it on your own passions. The desire isn't wrong. It's how hard you're clinging to that desire. Darren, would you come here for a second? This is my coffee. Darren, whose coffee is this? Yours. Yeah, all right, try to take it. Now we really try to take it. <laughs> He's a little nervous. <laughs> I'm not gonna tackle you, I promise you. But you can see how we could, this, this, is, this is painful. And for him to rip it out of my hands, that's a painful experience. Thank you, Darren, very much, appreciate it. Good job. And thanks for not punching me. That would have been really awkward. gotta have it, I gotta have it, and I gotta have it my way, I gotta have it this way. I want comfort, I want security, I want pleasure, I want what, and, and I gotta have it this way. And it's painful when that's ripped out of your hands, when you're clinging to it. So what we see in Hannah is so very beautiful. Because not only do we see the supplication, church, we also see the surrender we see the surrender. Look at verse number 11. This is so beautiful. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed will look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Probably an allusion to the Nazarite vow. Regardless, it is a beautiful picture of her saying he is devoted to the Lord. Yes, I want this, but God, I want this to return it back to you. Everyone do this. Everyone take your hands and put them out in front of you and I want you to just do this palms up thing. Go ahead and do this with me. God, I want this, but it's yours. Say that with me. God, I want this, but it's yours. And I can, I can hold out whatever precious thing is. And what's more precious than coffee? Can I get a witness? It's Jesus, right, I know, it's spiritual, but uh, coffee too, all right? Uh, but Lord, I want this, I want this, but it's yours, exactly what Hannah does, the supplication, the surrender. For me, I had to say, God, I want this position and be honest with my heart. I want the comfort, I want the ease, I want the security, I want the approval, I want all of that. But God, ultimately, I will go where you want me to go and I will do what you want me to do. And in case you don't know the end of the story, I didn't get the job as a pastor there, I went and planted a church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Now we call it Redemption Bible Church. And you are, thanks, I got one person excited. <laughs> and uh, I love the fact that God said no, because the no to the lesser thing was a yes to a far greater and more joyful and more wonderful thing. That's you, okay? That God has said yes, and now we have what God is doing here, and that is how good our God is. 
But here's what I want to help you see today very clearly from the text, church. Listen to me. Healing begins with surrender. Healing begins with surrender. This thing I want, it's yours, God. This thing I don't want, well, you're in control. Because here's where it gets hard. Look back in the text for a second. Look at verse number five. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Now watch this, though the Lord had closed her womb. And a rival used to provoke her grievously and irritate her. Here it is again, because, read it with me now, the Lord had closed her womb. Who? I can deal with it if it's somebody else causing me pain because, well, they're a sinner. Of course, they would do that. But how do I handle a sovereign God allowing pain in my life? What do I do with that? I want you to see the beautiful example again of Hannah. And I want you to see it in verse number 18. This is so very powerful. Of course, she goes in verse number 12. She continues to pray. Eli observes her and comes alongside her and says, hey, drunk woman. Quit drinking the wine. And, you know, that was an awesome winning pastor moment for Eli. Uh, wish I could say I'd never had any of those in my life, but I have. Not particularly calling people drunk, but maybe, I don't know. Anyway, point being is that uh, he's not a winner here, adding to her pain, adding to her difficulty with ridicule and, and uh, uh, thinking the worst of her. You ever been ridiculed and have people think the worst of you? Ever been there? Hard for sure, more pain upon pain, but look at what she does. She tells her what's going on, she pleads for help, and then verse number 17, then Eli answered, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes, and watch this. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. She came into the temple not eating. In the depths of depression, she lays it down as a sacrifice to God, surrender to God. This is what I want. And she goes away, and her appetite has returned, and her face is no longer sad. Now, is that because God gave her a son? No. She doesn't know that yet. She has no idea what's gonna happen from this point on. But she surrendered it, and she surrendered it in faith. She heard about God, she learned about who he was, and she believed it. She heard he was a good God and a loving God that his steadfast love endures forever. Somewhere along the way, all these things were taught to her and she lays it down at the altar and she says, that's what I'm gonna believe. 
and son or not, God, I'm gonna trust you and it's gonna be good with my soul. Listen, healing begins with surrender because the strength for surrender is faith. Healing begins with a surrender because the strength for surrender is faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, it's so beautiful. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. And the text goes on to say, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and church, I am telling you straight up, he rewards those who seek him. Now I know in a room like we have this morning that there are very complex issues and uh, I try to caveat, I understand, just trying to help you see that if someone's hurt you, that's not your fault. That may not be a hard idol at all. And you might need some help, people coming alongside you and loving you through it. But I want you to know this. Whatever your pain is, your God cares, and you can lay that pain at the altar. And that brings us to the last truth, and that's this. Altars lead to joy. Life is filled with pain. Our pain belongs on the altar, and altars lead to joy. Let's see in the text. Uh, take a look at verse number 19 now. We're just walking through this text together. And they rose early in the morning and worshiped before God. Then they went back to their house at Ramah and Elkanah knew his wife, Hannah. And the Lord remembered her. I love how that says it. She asked the Lord earlier, would you remember me? And he did, just like she asked. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And I love this, for the rest of his life, he is gonna be a testament of the fact that God answers prayer because his name is Samuel. Now, it's a rough translation, transliteration that actually means I have asked of him for him from the Lord. I asked the Lord and he gave. And that's what God does. Church, listen to me. That's what God does. He answers our prayer. Do you believe it by faith this morning? Now, I know some of you are like, well, I didn't answer all my prayers. Well, I wonder if he, what he answers. I wonder what you actually record, what you actually write down. And how amazed you are, even the small prayers that God answers. Let me give you a couple examples, and I won't name any names, but we're talking about them in small group this week. Talking about the very thing. And one of the guys in small group was talking to me. He was like, yeah, my wife called. Her stomach was hurting. She wanted me to pick up a rotisserie chicken. So I'm like, oh, I get a rotisserie chicken. Goes to Meyer, no chicken. Goes to Walmart. No chicken. And then we just say, you know what? I'm, gonna just, I'm just gonna pray. God, I really need a chicken. So would you please provide for me a chicken? And just then one walked into the front door. No, not really. Uh, <laughs> and he grabbed it by the throat. And you know, terrible picture. Horrible way to end a sermon. But what happened was, as he was walking out, there was one sitting in the warmer that he didn't see before. And he's like, God gave me a chicken. <laughs> and I'm not one to say, no, he didn't. You just... Didn't see it when you walked in, not at all. I believe God manifested that chicken ex nihilo, out of nothing, just for that prayer. Maybe, but whatever the point is, is that God heard the cry. And I can give you story after story after story of God saying yes, God saying yes, God saying yes. And often we don't notice that because we, we don't write it down, we don't record it. I don't challenge you, do a prayer journal. Watch God answer, but here's the reality. 
Whatever his answer is, it is always according to his good and loving and sovereign plan. Because one of the things you see in this text so beautifully is the journey that Hannah takes from pain to joy. And I say joy because that's what you see in the text. So uh, it, she goes on, she, she comes back uh, to offer uh, Samuel up after he was weaned. So he's probably, uh, back in that day, they weaned them in, when they were three years old. So he's about three years old boy now, and they're bringing him before to, to present him to uh, the, the priest. And along with uh, her son, she also brings this. Now the ESV says a three-year-old bull, probably what that actually means, most Hebrew scholars believe, is three one-year-old bulls and an epta of of wheat, which was three times the offering of wheat. So three times the meat offering, three times the wheat offering, and some wine, and she brings it in, and she joyfully gives it back. Now, I'm sure she was sad. I'm sure it was hard to let Samuel go, but all we see in the text is this worshipful returning to the Lord, and then chapter two starts with a praise song that Hannah sings, a prayer that she sings to God, just filled with joy joy that God heard her cry, and now she's just worshiping her. In fact, the whole thing ends with this in verse number 28. Therefore, I lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. It ends with joyful worship. And I can say to you this morning with full assurance, listen to me now, I promise you, when you lay your pain truly, listen, by faith at the altar of God, you lay your pain there, what you're going to get is joy, deep satisfaction. Now I have to say, to get to this level of joy, you have to experience that level of pain. As I look back in my life, the pain of losing that job was by far not the worst pain I've experienced in my life. We've lost a son. We've lost a home due to a fire. We've had a lot of pain in our life. And the one thing that Courtney and I will attest to firmly this morning is all that has done is made us love God more, see his sovereign and good hand, and it's deepened our satisfaction in our God. And if you really lay your pains there, that's what God will do. So here's what I want you to do. Take a moment, if you will. I want you to bow, and I want you to pray. And I don't know what's happening in your life. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know the pain that you've experienced. And again, I say to you, I get that it's complex. We have people here trained to help you if you need it. But maybe right now the Holy Spirit is laying some things on your heart. And what I'd have you to do, what I'd have you to do is just to offer that to the Lord. So would you take a moment and bow and pray? And maybe you even need to hold your hands out like we did earlier and just say, God, this is yours. I give it to you. Take a moment and do that.
Father, once again I come and I offer up to you my deep need of approval from others. God, as I look back in my life, it has been the source of a great amount of my pain. And I want to be loved. I want to be appreciated. But Lord, you've already done all that and more. You chose me before the foundation of the world. You chose me. You did, a sovereign, holy, mighty God. You don't choose everyone, but you chose me. You love me. Your word says that you rejoice over me with loud singing. Me. You do. The most perfect being in the universe who knows the worst of me. But you sing over me. Why would I be hurt when mere man rejects me if the God of the universe has accepted me? And so again, I lay at your feet asking for you to dig deeper if need be, bring more to see how deep this goes so I can surrender again and again and again to find that deep satisfaction that comes from you. I thank you for being a God who loves us enough that when we lay our pain at your altar, you care and you lean down and you wrap your loving arms around us and you bring healing. Lord, bring it to everyone in this building this morning who needs it. And we'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. It's 12.08. I love you. Uh, <laughs> thanks for coming. You are loved.